Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, we love you this day. It is a joy for us as we've entered into your presence in worship. Lord, we also want the word of God to do its work in our hearts. So come, Lord, with that wonderful two-edged sword of yours that heals and frees and releases us with its truth and with its kindness. And we pray, O God, that it would pierce our hearts. We would uncline our hearts that what we see will obey. And you'll empower us and grace us. I ask, O God, that I would hear it first of all, that I would be able to hear afresh your word. Come upon us, our ears, our eyes, spiritually, that we would perceive the things of the Spirit and not be listening with the ears of the flesh. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to just do the first three verses. You'll notice how quickly we're moving through Acts. I had thought about just the first verse, so, 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 you know, understand I'm stretching. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had, mine says, by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. The Greek actually reads, and uh, I don't know why people frequently do this. Um, I'm not the only one to observe this. So don't think I'm just coming out of left field. It actually says he was, uh, after he had given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a real difference there. Is he, there the, the implication of the way mine reads is he had, under the Holy Spirit's uh, anointing somehow, the resurrected Lord gave orders to his apostles. Well, it doesn't say that. It says the Lord gave orders to his apostles whom he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. And Luke, by the way, is the only gospel that notes that the night before Jesus chose the apostles, he went up on a mountain and prayed by himself all night and then came down and chose them. So Luke is actually, Luke is making the point, look, to Theophilus, we'll talk about that. He is making the point that these, these apostles were chosen by the Lord under the anointing of the Holy Spirit Prior to, his, prior to his, his, his death and resurrection, and these are now the ones who lead us. So as we go into the book of, of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Luke is telling us they were uniquely chosen. All right, verse 3. He, to these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by con- many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about Theophilus. How far did God have to go to reach you? Some of us came to him quickly and easily as children, others not until late in life. How many of you were early arrivals? Uh, You as children just came to the Lord, your family led you to the Lord. It was one of those easy things. Can't remember when you really weren't a Christian. Go ahead. Yeah, see, there's always... Good portion. How many of you were, the, were, much, were later arrivals? You had to go through the hardships of life and find Jesus. Yeah, there we go. Amen. 
So it's, you'll, you'll always have both. But taking that first step toward God was not the end of the matter. However you came, early or late. However and whenever we came to him, as life progressed, we found that holding on to him is a challenge. Events happened that caused us to question God's goodness or power. Doubts arose about the historical truth of what we had embraced. People argued with us or ridiculed us for our childlike trust until we felt foolish for believing things we couldn't prove. And if that weren't enough, at some point we found our obedience to Christ got us into trouble. To remain loyal to him cost us something that mattered to us. We had to let go of something or someone in order to hold on to him. Is that resonating? Yes. Yeah, you understand. You had, as long as you walked with him, it's cost you something. You were hanging on to something and you had to let go of it to hold on to him. And the more we became aware of the world's genuine hostility toward our faith, the more we understood that real persecution might be a price we'd have to pay. So our walk with Christ not only started with a choice to believe, it has required many choices to believe along the way. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, you've had to choose him over and over again, haven't you? These first few verses of Acts remind us that God doesn't abandon us to struggle alone with these issues. His Holy Spirit is always with us to refresh our faith, but he also sends us people to come after us when we wander and stand beside us when we're weak. Amazingly, Luke wrote the book of Acts to strengthen the faith of one man. Did you notice that as it went by? He wrote, he says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now I'm going to take you through the text a bit so we understand what's going on, and then we'll apply it. Luke addresses this document to someone named Theophilus, just as he did the gospel he wrote earlier. The name is probably a pseudonym meant to protect the identity of a man who held high political or military position because Luke adds the title in, in his gospel, Most Excellent. Elsewhere in Acts, he applies this same title to Felix, the Roman procurator of Judea, and Portius Festus, his successor. The name Theophilus literally means one who is loved by God. Now, I need to stop there because I thought it meant one who is loved by one who loves God. And I just always assumed that. It's not. It's, in the pas it's a pas passive. It's one who is loved by God. That, that's a, that makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. And is in itself an explanation of why Luke took the time to write this detailed history. Someone was sincerely inquiring about Jesus Christ and his church. And because God loved him and us, he moved upon Luke to investigate everything carefully and write it out in consecutive order so that Theophilus might know the exact truth about the things he had been taught. Just hang on to Acts, but go back to Luke chapter 1. I'll show you where I get that. Excuse me. He says, verse 1. 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, all this about Jesus, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. Say, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. And then notice, to write it out for you in consecutive order. Say that. To write it out for you in consecutive order. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth. Say exact truth. Exact truth. About the things you've been taught. Luke is a Greek physician. Many times we'll find, you'll find words in his, his writing which are medical terms. He's a learned man. He is a good historian, and he has taken the time, he says, to talk to eyewitnesses, and indeed he has. When you read his gospel, you read the account, for example, of, of, of the of angel coming to Mary and of the birth of Christ. You can take the pronoun and just move it to the first person, and, and you can hear Mary literally narrate to the man her story. It's just, it's just a pure narration. He just, he just wrote it down as she spoke it. He met with people. He's, he tra- he's the traveling partner of Paul. So he's all over. And so he's, he's interviewing. He knows what history means. He's writing to a man who's either uh, in the political or military position. We don't know who Theophilus is. Uh, could he be Sergius Paulus, the, uh, the governor of Cyprus that came to the Lord so early there? We don't know. Could it be someone in, in, in Caesar's household? Remember who Caesar is at this point, Nero. Uh, not an easy household to be part of and be a believer. It, it's somebody who's, who's either questioning Christianity, thinking of coming into Christianity, or someone who has already said yes, but is facing a tremendous price for this thing and needs his faith shored up. Am I a fool? Did I follow a Jewish myth? Is, is, this, is this reality or is this a religious game? And Luke has taken the time and says, then I'll, I'll do the research for you. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Greek doctor. I, I get it. I'll write this out and I'll write it in care. I'll do the research and I'll write it out in consecutive order so that you'll know that your faith is founded well. Now back to wherever I left off. Verse 1, it's likely Luke wrote the book of Acts during the two years that he and Paul spent in Rome while Paul was under arrest waiting for a hearing before Caesar. That's the end of the book of Acts, remember? Paul is arrested. He's put in in an apartment there and, and spends two years there. Paul was permitted to stay in his own rented quarters accompanied by a soldier who was guarding him and was allowed to teach and preach with all openness and unhindered. During those years, Paul wrote Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. And Luke wrote Acts, and possibly the Gospel of Luke, but it's also possibly wrote his Gospel during Paul's earlier imprisonment in Caesarea. Paul spent lots of time in jail, and so Luke has time on his hands. Both men turned what might have been wasted time into a season of research and writing that left an immeasurable gift to the church. Now picture this. They're living in the same apartment. You've got a, you've got a, a Roman guard who's also there. Whether or not they left Paul chained with some kind of long chain, I doubt it. He 
obviously was a, wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't a, a flight risk. And uh, so at some point, I'll bet they took the thing off. So, but at any rate, Paul is, is confined. He's under house arrest. Uh, there's, a, there's a guard there, but Luke is there. And these men have about two years on their hands. They are free to have guests come. So people are coming from the city of Rome, uh, Christian leaders, Jewish leaders, inquiring, having, having all kinds of, of dialogues and discussions over scriptures are going on. But there's still a lot of time left. So these men redeem the time. They could just sit back and say, what can we do? We're here in jail. Instead, they took those times. And as I said, Paul wrote Philemon, was it Colossians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians. And Luke wrote the book of Acts. So Paul's in the living room writing, Luke's in the kitchen. <laughs> Remember comments that Paul will make uh, uh, when, he, when he writes in some cases, uh, send, bring to me, Timothy, bring to me the parchments and the books. I have need of them. Um, uh, and uh, have Mark come also. You remember who Mark is? John Mark, his parents owned the upper room that the uh, Pentecost took place in, that Jesus and his disciples gathered in for the, for the Last Supper. That's their family home. He's probably the young man who, it, it says in one of the Gospels, showed up late when Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrapped only in a sheet. He'd probably been asleep, heard the Romans come to the, their, their first, because that was a main gathering for the disciples. That's where Judas led them first. Then, then uh, John Mark tried to grab the sheet, ran around him, and ran for all he was worth to get to Gethsemane to warn Jesus and got there just too late. This is John Mark. And he says, have Mark come. So you have a, an, a, a focal point of activity here. You've got, you've got intelligent, learned people. Paul is, a, is, a, is, a, is one of the most educated men of his day. Luke is a Greek physician. They are writing history. They are writing their letters. They're working together uh, to redeem the time. Luke tells Theophilus that his gospel was designed to record the things Jesus did and taught during his ministry starting at its very beginning, which for Luke extended back to events before Jesus' conception, and continuing up to the day he ascended into heaven. He reminds Theophilus that before Jesus ascended, he commanded the 11 apostles whom he had personally chosen to wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. After that power arrived, they were to proclaim the gospel to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Luke tells Theophilus that before the ascension arrived, the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples on numerous occasions over a period of 40 days. Eleven such appearances are recorded or mentioned in the New Testament, and there may have been many more. Did you know that? From the time Jesus was uh, resurrected, there were 40 days before he actually ascended into heaven. That was 10 days before Pentecost, obviously. Pentecost, 50 days. So, that, so there are a 10-day lapse before the, the day of Pentecost arrived. During that 40 days, the New Testament records 11 appearances of Jesus or mentions them. Uh, and there may have been many more. Luke is making the point. This resurrection that you're believing in, Theophilus, this rising of Jesus from the dead, it's not a myth. 
It wasn't, it wasn't some, some people in a room who, who'd worked themselves into some religious ecstasy and had a vision. It isn't based on rumor. People saw the man. Let's go on. I, I say more here. He says, Jesus presented himself alive in many, and the, and the word Luke uses is convincing signs. One delightful example of such signs Luke provides was the occasion when Jesus took a piece of broiled fish and ate it in front of his disciples to prove to them his resurrected body was real. Remember that? I always enjoy telling this. Yeah, Jesus shows up there. They can't believe it's, he's alive. They're, they're, they're this kind of startled. And he says, have you got anything to eat? And they handed him some broiled fish. And he ate it in front of them so that he could prove it didn't fall out. I mean, literally, that's what's going on. They're, they're watching to see if it sticks. Can he really eat fish, swallow it, and it doesn't hit the floor? Is he a ghost? Is he real? It's, that's, I mean, for, 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 forgive me, but that's exactly what was taking place. He proved to them. Luke, Luke's, Luke's relating this to Theophilus. Look, Jesus proved he was alive. Over and over again. Let's, let's go on. Luke also records that he showed them his hands and feet, meaning, of course, the scars there. John tells us he invited Thomas to touch the scar in his side. Actually, he says, put your hand in my side. It bothers me. Remember where the huge, the huge Roman sword would have gone up under his ribcage. There'll be a big cut here. And he said, go ahead, Thomas. Put your hand in there. And he describes a morning beside the Sea of Galilee when he cooked breakfast for them. Who, who knows what kind of fish it was? Tilapia. Yes, that's the native fish. How many like tilapia? Yeah, me too. Luke, Luke's point in saying this to Theophilus is to assure him that there is a sound historical basis for his faith. The declaration that Jesus rose from the dead was no myth or unconfirmed rumor. Many people saw him during that 40-day period. Honest, reliable people. In fact, 500 at one shot. Some of whom touched him and even ate meals with him. His appearances were not momentary visions brought on by a state of religious ecstasy. People going about their daily activities who weren't expecting to see him alive encountered him. There were times of prolonged conversation with multiple witnesses present. In other words, Theophilus could be confident that his faith was founded on something that really happened. He was no fool for putting his faith in Christ. The Good Shepherd. God is looking for those who are looking for him. And he will go to great lengths to reach them. Every soul is precious to him. And if we wander away, this shepherd will leave the ninety and nine and go out onto the hillsides to search for his lost sheep. He doesn't passively wait for us to find him. He comes after us. This aggressiveness is an essential part of his nature. And he wants to use us in the process. Did you follow what we said there? God is aggressive. He is not passive. When, when one of his people stumbles, struggles, weak in faith, uh, under attack, uh, when, when someone is beginning to totter in their faith, God does not just 
stand back and go, hope you get it. Remember what happens if you fail, huh? He doesn't do that. It says he comes after us. Go with me to Ezekiel 34. I want to show you a beautiful passage. This is one of the real gems in the Old Testament. It describes false shepherds and true shepherd. I'm going to read you. Just listen to the nature now. Listen to God's complaint against his, his, his shepherds in Israel. Those would be anyone who's giving spiritual care to others. Uh, particularly, of course, the main religious leaders, but it would apply to anyone. So listen to this. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have, should, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. He's, his complaint is, you are using people for monetary revenue. You are living off the people you serve. Rather than loving them and caring for them, you are, you are taking money from them to support yourselves. Imagine that. Here we go. Verse 4. Those who are, are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and severity, you have dominated them. Let's read, read verse 4 out loud with me, would you? This is a good one. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field. And they were scattered. And then he says, all my flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey. My flock even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock. Say, search for my flock. Again, notice the aggressiveness. Go after, not sit and wait, but go after people. You did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I'll demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed them anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth and they may, that they may not become food. I will do it. Now, that's the false shepherds. That's the indictment of those who are, are, are caring for people and doing it for the wrong reasons and, and, and neglecting their people. Now watch what he says. He says, I will come and I will be a shepherd. Look, listen to how it sounds. Verse 11. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and I will deliver them from the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. When trouble came, when they were frightened, when they were confused, and my people wandered, I will go after them. 
I'll bring them out from the peoples, the nations, and gather them from their, the countries where they've been scattered all over the world and bring them to their own land. And I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the streams and in all the inhabited places. This is messianic. It's talking about the Lord coming as the Messiah to shepherd his people. And if you read the, all the prophets, they say this, that, that he will gather his people from all the places they've been scattered and bring them together. Bring them into one. I will, I, I want to read, um, I will, verse 14, I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be the mountain heights of Israel. They'll lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest. Look at verse 16. In fact, read it with me. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them with judgment. Those who have fat and strong shepherds who have falsely abused his people. Now, who calls himself the good shepherd? This is the background of that comment by Jesus. Having that in mind, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one when, the, when, 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 when the, the shepherds of Israel have failed. They've abused you. They've taken, they've exploited you. They have not fed you or healed you or cared for you or sought for you. They judged you and put up a lot of harsh religion. But I'm the one who's come to seek and to find that which is lost. I'm the one who will aggressively go after the people of God. And, I, and I'll show you the context in which he says it in a minute. Read with me the, the, the quote there from John. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, one more place, Luke 15. You'll recognize this. Verse 1. Listen to the context. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes, religious leaders, shepherds, began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. People who break the law, people whose lives are a mess, people who have failed, people, are, people who, who, who show little sign of faith. So he told them this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. He's telling us God goes after people. 
God, when people stray and wander on the hillsides, and we're talking about sin and failure, weak faith, whatever is going on, doubt, unbelief, when people wander away from this shepherd, he doesn't just watch them go. He comes after them. And he wants us part of that. We are to have his heart in us. We too are to go after his people. Because professional clergy are such a part of our thinking, we can read these passages and assume they apply to people with titles, and indeed they do. But they are also meant to apply to each of us. In some way, each of us shepherds a flock. There are people God has trusted into our care. Think about it. Parents, teachers, coaches, employers, managers, neighbors, medical personnel, small groups. I could go on and on. How many here? You have someone God has trusted to your care. Little ones, old ones, you, you, someone you're caring for. Virtually everybody. All right. So the Lord wants to put his shepherd's heart into each of us. He calls us to be our brother's keeper. Listen to these two commands. The first one is Paul in Galatians. It's written out for you. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, meaning those who are listening for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What do you note there? If anyone is caught in what kind of trespass? Say any. Did you notice any? No matter how bad it is, no matter what goes on, if one of your brothers and sisters you see caught in a trespass, caught in something, you who are spiritual, meaning you who are listening to the mind of the Spirit, you who are listening to, to God, you're to go after them and restore them. How? In a spirit what? Of gentleness. Say gentleness. Yeah, in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you'll not be tempted. Let me just tell you what I think I heard. When, when someone is struggling, someone is weak, I cannot just passively sit back and watch it. I am responsible to extend the love of God and to reach out. How am I to do it? I'm to do it in a way that is respectful, in a way that is not from a position of seniority. I don't come and look down on you poor, weak idiot. How could you get yourself in this mess? I don't come from a position of superiority looking down on the person, do I? I come with a gentleness. I come as a brother or a sister, not as, not as, as, as someone. And it says, if I become... If I perhaps become harsh and proud, God may let the same experience uh, come, let me experience the same temptation. Now, I've had that happen, and you may too. <laughs> you come in and, and, you, and you begin to lord it over somebody. And you begin to just say, now, I wouldn't have done that. I don't know why you did. And you begin to take this kind of position. huh? God says, really, you wouldn't have. Fabulous. 
well, why don't we let you experience the same temptation they just went, fell through? And let's see how you do. He will do that. That's exactly what Paul just said. So Paul says, if you were wise, you'll do it in a respectful, humble way. <laughs> you'll be kind. You'll go after to restore. And then notice once the last thing Paul says there, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love one another even as I have loved you. Love one another. That's the law of Christ. He's given us a law, right? Love one another, he says, even as I have loved you. Paul says when you care for each other that way, you are fulfilling the Lord's command to you to love one another as he's, he's uh, loved you. Now, this is the last passage. Let's look at John 15. Pardon me, John 13. This, John wrote his gospel late, probably around 90 AD. And um, all the other gospels had been written, and he knew that. So John is filling in things. John is telling parts that were, were not recorded in the other Gospels. He's filling in. He's clarifying on Jesus. He's, he's, he's bringing things in. And so the other Gospels all told us about the Last Supper. But the other Gospels didn't tell us what happened before supper was served. And John says, well, I'm going to tell you because it was beautiful. So, so listen to what he tells us. He says, before the feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and he departed out of the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil has already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus, I love this verse, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, Taking a towel, he girded himself, and he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And that kind of meal, they're, they're actually at a low table. They're leaning on their left arm, and their feet are sticking out behind. That's the way they ate, in a reclining position. And so you, they're, they're all there. He gets up, he takes that outer robe, hangs it on a hook or whatever, and puts a towel around his waist, pours water in a basin, and begins to go around. All of their feet are sticking out. At the, he goes around and he washes each of their feet. Uh, and then he gets to Peter. And he came to Simon Peter and he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him and said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but you will later. Now, if the Lord told you that, would you shut up about then and let him wash your feet? Most of us would, uh, but not Peter. Peter argues with him. Have you led such people? Anyway, Jesus answered and said, what I do you don't realize you will after. Peter said to him, never will you wash my feet. Jesus answered, okay, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. That changes Peter's attitude. Peter says, okay, let's have a bath. We've got to, you know, we, we drive from curb to curb, you know, bang, bang, bang. We got, uh, don't you love this man? He became the leader of the church. Yeah, it's, it's really encouraging. I do. I love this guy. And Peter said to him, 
uh, then not my, that Lord wash my, my feet and my hands and my head. In other words, immerse me in a mikvah. Uh, wash me all over as though I'm, a, I'm coming in all over again. Let me start all over again. These are symbols. Uh, Jesus replies to that. He says, he who has bathed, been already baptized, already given himself fully, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not all. And this was a reference not to all of their body, but to all that were there. For he knew that Judas had not uh, repented and believed. Then when he washed their feet and took his garments and reclined at the table, he says, Do you know what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. The next thing that will take place in that room is he will now serve the Passover. This is what happened before Passover. Jesus says when we become weak or fail, we don't need to get saved all over again. Did you see that? He says, I need to wash your feet, Peter. Peter says, okay, my head where I think, my hands what I do. Wash all of me symbolically. I'm completely a wreck. He says, no, you're not. By your faith, you're clean. But your feet have got dirty in the process of going through life. Look at the dust. Let me wash your feet. We don't need to get saved all over again. But neither should we ignore what happened. We need to address the dust that accumulates as we walk through life. And not by ourselves. We are to care for each other in these matters. Did you notice? In other words, I'm responsible for your feet. And you're responsible for mine. When you sin or become weak in faith, the shepherd will send me to wash your feet. And when I sin or become weak in faith, the shepherd will send you to wash my feet. I have to be willing to go to great lengths to strengthen you and to care for you. The shepherd went out onto the hillsides and Luke, picture this, wrote the entire gospel And the entire book of Acts. To strengthen the faith. Of one man. Luke modeled this principle for us. Washing the feet of a man he called Theophilus. He went to an enormous effort to do careful research. And write a history of Jesus Christ and his church. Of course he knew others would read it. But he was willing to write it. For one, Theophilus, beloved of God, what won't God do to come after you? Theophilus, what won't God do to strengthen your faith, to show you the foundation that you believe in? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.